Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Police found 27 corpses. Australia's worst serial killer. You know, I didn't want to get in the car. I actually... With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to Monsters Who Murder, whether you're listening to us on the podcast or watching us on the new video series. And there's someone else we love having as part of Monsters Who Murder. We couldn't do it without her. It's the serial killer whisperer, Amanda Howard. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Robert. It's good to be here. Episode two of the new season and everything's new. (laughs) Everything is new, including our ability to videocast what we're doing. And Amanda... We've had such a great reaction to the first episode. I think people are liking the video version. I think they are, but I think more so they liked my attempt at an accent than they actually did yours. (laughs) But anyway, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, Nobody commented on that, and you went... You went fishing on Facebook. I did, it was I one did. of the few times I did see something on Facebook. And you were there saying, Nobody mentioned my accent. <laughs> Everyone, any time I do an accent, to be sure, they'll mention it because my accents are so bad. And yours are actually yes. pretty good. Get, throw an accent at me. I'll do one right now. Um, Mexican. Ay, caramba! <laughs> Yeah, no. Okay, we won't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're here for another good episode, and there's lot to wa- lots to watch if you're watching it on the video one by going to mwm.uscreen.io. That's mwm.uscreen.io. There's a link in our description as well because we are doing... Stephen McDaniel Part 2 here, Amanda. There's a lot we're going to unpack in this second episode, isn't there? There is. There is so much more to come. And though his um, sort of robotic responses do continue, there's a whole lot more that we sort of see that sort of sneaks in and, and people are keen to see what happens in this second half. Indeed. Well, we'll get to our psychological profile shortly. In the meantime, let's get into the news. And a 27-year-old mother, Kelly Wilkinson, has been set alight and killed, allegedly by her estranged husband, Brian Johnson. The alleged murder took place in the backyard of her Australian home on the Gold Coast in front of her three children. Now, as Nine News reports, a public vigil has been held to remember her. They came pouring in. First a trickle, then a flood, and eventually a sea of green. Filling the Titans training paddock at Parkwood with Kelly Wilkinson's favourite colour. Three generations of women of our, from our family attending today and it just felt like the right thing to do at a time when you can't really do much else. Amongst the crowd, friends and loved ones, but also many strangers. People touched, torn and so clearly hurting at the death of the Gold Coast mother of three who was killed and set on fire in her backyard almost a week ago. Her estranged husband, Brian Earl Johnston, is charged with murder. Amanda, we often see vigils like this when an atrocity occurs, but what fascinates me is people who don't even know the victims attend these events. Why is that? I think it's because of the normalcy of who these victims are. You know, a lot of us are wives. um, We have children, we're mums. And so the community sort of sees it as a failure of their own sort of um, social space because we want to say that we are able to protect our neighbours, we're able to protect our sisters, our aunts, our mothers, and then 
events like this happen, like we saw in Adelaide as well just a few days ago as well, when a man jumped from the Wailing Wall holding his toddler daughter. I mean, we, we just sort of feel so helpless that we want to come together to sort of um, make that sort of public vow that we don't want to see this happen again. Unfortunately, it does keep happening. But um, I think it's more about that, that community coming together that it's not going to happen again in my backyard. And for the people who do know this victim, is it a sense of grieving together? I, you know, I've never attended a vigil, if I'm to be honest, so I don't quite understand the need for people to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a strange phenomena that does happen. I mean, I've never actually attended one myself. I've driven past them and things like that, just just out of pure curiosity. But I think that's what it comes to, that we all just have it coming together. I mean, we saw this when we did the Keisha Abrams case as well. There was a lot mm. of vigils held for her while she was still um, un unaccounted for so um it's something it's it's really about um people not understanding their own feelings and so they come together to actually discuss this because it's sometimes it takes that group to create action and i mean how many mm. more women are we going to lose in domestic violence events like this before there is action so um th the more people that do attend these the more people that have this outrage and outcry we're more likely to see something change that we can actually save a lot more of these women and men and children Hmm. Okay. Well, a 24-year-old fitness instructor has been accused of preying on girls and women across the southern areas of Sydney. The number of charges, if proved, would make him one of the most infamous men in New South Wales history. 10 News has more. Anthony Glumack is accused of dozens of crimes against women. The 24-year-old Campbelltown labourer is facing violent sexual assault charges following claims from 19 victims spanning years. Glumack was arrested in December when members of Strike Force Honda raided his Campbelltown apartment. He was already facing 15 sexual violence-related charges. Today, another 32 fresh charges, including over a dozen rape and seven assault charges, all thanks to 14 new complainants coming forward. If Anthony Glumack is eventually convicted on all charges, the alleged defending would put him among some of the worst in our state. Well, Amanda, let's talk more generally about a case like this rather than the specifics of this case, which is still before the courts. We've often talked about escalation. Would someone mm. who is guilty of crimes like this be likely to become a killer? Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't say that A plus B equals C, but the likelihood of him uh, going on to kill is definitely a very real and highly likely possibility, purely because they get to a point that, um, one, the rape itself no longer sort of um, excites him. It, he has to take it to that next level. But also he gets to a point where he may become careless and may realise that a victim may come forward sooner, so he needs to kill them so he can continue to get uh, away with these sorts of crimes. So it's absolutely a possibility that had these women not come forward that we um, we may have been seeing a, a future serial killer. And the fact that this is a local case to me and it's been very hush-hush, it's actually quite surprising that we're only just hearing about it now. Well, indeed, and once again, this gentleman has the presumption of innocence while he's before mm -hmm. the courts, but we're using his case to talk about the broader terms of this. Is it yes. also possible someone who may commit so many rapes and stalkings not escalate into killing? Or is it more likely that eventually what the, 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 the rape becomes blasé and so it needs to escalate? Well, I mean, look at the case of Adrian Bailey, who um, murdered Jill Mir. He was actually um, guilty of many rapes leading up to her own rape and, and, and murder. So um, it's certainly a scenario that we've seen time and again that it does get to a point where these killers, or sorry, these rapists become killers because, yeah, as, as you said, it becomes blasé. It's no longer the fun of it or one victim may um, fight back harder or may hurt him in a certain way that then he becomes angry further beyond the, the act of rape and decides to kill. So there is a couple of avenues that, that cases like this can go where if they aren't caught or more likely that they aren't incarcerated for a very long time but they're let out, especially um, waiting for, for trials like Adrian Bailey was, um, it, it allows them that opportunity to do these more horrific crimes of murder.
Mm. Okay, let's move on because human remains found at a farm in the US state of Indiana have been identified as a male Chicago victim of the late serial killer Larry Isler. The victim has been identified as John Ingram Brandenburg Jr. of Chicago. No age was given. He was among four young men found on an abandoned farm in rural Lake Village on October 18, 1983, according to the office. Amanda, how important is it for the families of victims to find out what happened to their loved ones? Um, I think it's very important and this actually gives me a smile not because of a victim has been named but that this family now has that answer. It doesn't bring closure. It would never bring closure but they are able to now bury their son, their, their brother, their cousin and they're able to actually give him a headstone and they know how he met his fate. That, that They would have believed that he was dead long ago. They would have probably hoped that he was out there living his life but to actually have this DNA match now that, that says that that he was a victim of Isla, it just, it just sort of gives that moment of pause that they now actually can um, come together that final time and just say, you know, we, we have him, he's now at peace. So I, I'm glad that cases like this and, and the Gacy case, they're still trying to identify several of those victims too. So it's, I'm so glad that they don't stop looking and that um, a lot of these boys are now coming home. Hmm. Okay. Well, one of the biggest questions many true crime fans ask is, what makes a serial killer? Well, new research out of Oxford University says there is little evidence that real-life serial killers suffer from disassociative identity disorder, in which an individual has two or more personalities cohabitating in their mind, apparently unaware of each other. In an interesting twist, the report suggests the condition is more associated with victims of abuse who adopt multiple personalities as a way of coming to terms with the horrors they've encountered. Amanda, there are some fascinating findings in this report. Tell me about the results on why criminal psychopaths do not feel guilty about their actions or sad when their victims suffer. Robert, this is only an hour episode. You um, but, but but really, I mean, it does come down to psychopathy. So, um, and I'll just sort of show you my T-shirt today. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Sort of throw that in. <laughs> um, what, what we have here is that we have um, killers that, that are more in tune with what they their own desires are and not of what other people have. So uh, these are the sort of people that you might see at parties that sort of keep coming on to you even though you've made it clear that you're not interested. Um, it's, it's sort of like that sort of way that they have no idea that they're social awareness is totally oblivious to everyone else's. So when they want to kill someone, they don't care if they hurt them. They don't care how long it takes to kill them. They don't care if this person is screaming and begging for their lives. They just don't care and it's and it's not that they don't hear it it's not that they aren't aware of it and there is sometimes that a killer may let a victim go because something has switched on with them they go oh no i can't do this and it does happen often um like with bobby joe long his last victim he said i was done and and this last victim he just knew he he couldn't kill her so they they can have those switches but it's more to do with how we discuss um that they compartmentalize their their thoughts and feelings so as this um oxford university um uh, survey did that they found that a lot of serial killers have these normal lives you know like ted bundy as, yes. as, as they use an example as you know he's charming and charismatic but at the same time he's a sexual sadist and a necrophiliac and it's because that they can live these two separate lives but it's not the same of disassociate identity disorder or what used to be called multiple multiple personalities disorder it's more about that they know that if they want to continue with this life they need to keep it under control and only let it out when they know that they believe it is safe so when they have their victim cornered when they've been able to get into someone's house like btk did or even um if, if we look at case like anita cobby's killers that they had safety in numbers and they knew that no one was going to look for a woman at 11 o'clock at night on a weeknight um and so they knew they had plenty of time to do what they needed to do so her cries meant nothing to them because they were getting their fun and it had nothing to do with the victim it was all about their own sexual pleasure what also interested me in this report was the um, part of it that said that this disassociative identity disorder was likely to be in victims of abuse as their coping mechanism. 
Oh, absolutely. And we have seen this many times. And there's been reports of this actually being falsified, that there has been victims that had DID, but they believe that it was more to do with um, a coping mechanism. And sometimes it is more of a fantasy life than actual coping. But those that have this as a coping mechanism, they are able to basically compartmentalise that part of their lives, but they still interact with each other. Sometimes they don't interact with each other. Um, funnily enough, my daughter was showing me a video this afternoon of a man with DID and when he opened a parcel he actually had a switch in personality to match what he had just received in this parcel. It's, it's mm. quite fortuitous that she showed me that this afternoon because she has um, a great interest in, in, in how the mind works from the victim's point of view or the innocent point of view. So um, I'm glad that she's <laughs> growing up in, in this sort of environment, I guess. But, um, yeah, victims, it's it's very much about coping. So if you have that horrid moment in, in your life, you don't want it to be out there and loud and proud. You, you, you want to keep it hidden and, and closed and to allow you to cope with every, everyday life. That A lot of us have multiple personalities in the fact that, you know, the way that you act at work is different to the way that you would act in a social environment and different to the way you, that you would work at home. It doesn't mean they're distinct personalities and different different identities, but it's the just, just different ways that we react. And so um, right. DID is, is that further um, advancement of that, that they do actually often act um, separate to each other. And it can be very difficult for these people to survive. And often it is, is found that they have this abuse through this sort of thing. And it's only through horror movies and stuff like Split and... and, and um, I can't think of any others currently, um, Sybil and things like that. <laughs> Sorry, but, but 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 Split, I just watched the other day again because I watched the trilogy. Um, but in Split, it's it's about the killer having that personality rather than the victim. So um, that, mm. that they try and use that as a sinister thing, that there's this Jekyll and Hyde, but the Jekyll and Hyde is the compartmentalisation, but the killer is very aware of what they have. Ah, and that's the difference. All right. Well, if you like these insights and you want more plus bonuses, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash mwmconfessions. And we're even tying our video tier into a brand new $25 tier there on the Patreon page. But, of course, if you just want to watch the videos, you can pay for them each episode by episode for just $5 or you can get an annual a monthly subscription for $15 which is a 25% discount so we hope you'll take this journey with us we're putting a lot of effort into these video casts and uh, as I say Amanda I'm really enjoying them so I'd like to continue them and with our viewers with our public support we will be able to continue them Oh, yeah, I'm so excited to be able to do this. I'm trying to learn to not talk with my hands, but um, <laughs> I can't help it. I'm a bit quiet if I don't use my hands, but I am trying. But um, as, as you said, the feedback that we've had from this has been absolutely amazing and all the love that we've got on the Facebook pages. We have an open, wide public Facebook page um, under MWM Confessions as well as the private ones for, for those that do take up these extra tiers. But um, it's it's just been so great to see the love that we've had for, for this first public um, TV episode that we've had, however you like to describe yeah. it. I just think it just sort of brings that extra because everyone is seeing what I'm trying to describe to them. They can actually see it live. And so many people have said, oh, my goodness, yes, that makes so much more sense because I'm seeing it as you're describing it. So yeah, absolutely. it's been amazing. Yeah. Well, we'll get to see more of that in a moment when we continue our psychological profile on Stephen McDaniel. We'll be right back. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss this is monsters who murder serial killer confessions This is part two in our psychological profile of Stephen McDaniel. Sometime after the evening of June 25, 2011, 25-year-old Stephen McDaniel murdered fellow student and neighbour, 
27-year-old Lauren Giddings in Macon, Georgia. McDaniel had stalked Lauren for months, leading up to the murder and even helped in the search for the woman prior to her body being found. During the search for Lauren, McDaniel was interviewed extensively by local media. He was chatty and expressing concern for his missing friend. It would be a very different McDaniel who would later be interviewed by Detective David Patterson. In the tapes we've seen so far, McDaniel is almost catatonic, giving only basic yes-no answers to questions. Amanda, we left this last episode where Patterson was joined by Sergeant Chapman. How does this change the dynamic of the police interview? Well, what this does is this creates a to and fro that's not currently happening with just one officer and McDaniel in in the room. So now the two officers speak and this is an attempt to get a rise out of McDaniel and to have him interject in their conversation because as we saw in the in the media interviews, he was talking over the journalists and getting as mm. much info out as he could. So they're just trying that this new tactic, but they're also doing the good cop, bad cop, which I love to see. Well, after another few minutes with Chapman going in hard, Patterson actually leaves the room and that's because Lauren's father had arrived at the police station and Patterson had gone to meet with him, hoping he had better news. Chapman then moves from the end of the table and sits right where Patterson had been, up close and personal to McDaniel. I don't know what's going on. Lauren's missing. This, this pretty little girl right here, your neighbor, she's missing. I know. You went looking for her last night. Yes. Did you hurt Lauren? No. Stephen, did you hurt Lauren? No. I know this is hard for you to tell it, but it's weighing on you right now, ain't it, Stephen? I didn't do it. This is a little frustrating to watch, Amanda. It is, and purely because we have the proof of how he really, really talks. So yes. um, the fact that he's sort of making these these comments, what we're seeing is a man who knows call a lawyer and shut up, but at the same time can't do that because we know his real personality is to talk until the cows come home. <laughs> so so he's split between the, the, these two forces, but he's just trying to say nothing, but he's saying a lot at the same time because he is denying the crime which they then know is a lie, but they're, they're not getting those those benchmark lines off him of what's truth and what's not because they know it's all basically a lie. But this this mechanical shutdown, this, this isn't reality like this isn't re really happening he's forcing himself to do this had he smoked some pot or something before i have no idea but he isn't this is, isn't a psychological breakdown that we're seeing this is someone who's just trying to bite his tongue but just can't help himself this is so true and and it's interesting what our perception might have been like if we hadn't seen that interview with the media and i'll play a clip from that a little later on to remind us what he's like but Having seen that and see the guy here, you just can't buy it. It's laughable. Exactly. Had we not had those media interviews, this this um, this case might not have even sort of come into our periphery because it is something that is so um, monotonous and and just sort of oh okay, this is just a guy who's who's just playing this game but we know that this is a game that he yeah. is playing because we have that that more descriptive more active more more responsive person and that's why this is such a high profile case now because of of his stupidity well patterson returns to the interview after another 10 minutes and an hour into the interview patterson returns to the body they found in the dumpster do you know how I've already told you that there was a body discovered, right, in the yes. trash containers over there near your apartment. Do you know how that body got in the, that trash can? No. Do you have any black trash bags in your apartment, like, uh, that you use for trash? No. Do you, can you help me? Have, do you know where any black trash bags are in that apartment complex? Have you know. ever seen any around? Has someone been over there cleaning up or have you ever seen anybody painting an apartment? 
Have you seen any painters? Because you're home most of the day, right? Yes. Have you seen any of that? No. Do you know when the garbage man usually comes over there? No. Do you know anything? Yes. What do you know? I asked you for help. What do you know? Hmm. You know, do you think Patterson just thinks McDaniel is a petulant child? 100%. You know, this has been a really long hour, believe me. There was points I was dozing off thinking, my <laughs> God, you just want to pick this guy up and shake him and tell him, like, no one's buying the act. No one is buying this act. But but nothing is working because they've tried swearing at him. They've tried, um, you know, saying, yeah, but you, you knew this and you'd been here and you've done that. You know, they've done the book the good cop, the bad cop, they've pushed the buttons, they've done all of this, and now they've even tried, well, maybe it was the garbage man, maybe it was a delivery guy, maybe it, it was a painter. They're giving him an opportunity to to suggest a, a secondary suspect, and even that's not working. And so, like, Patterson really, he just does want to pick him up and shake him, and I don't blame <laughs> him at all. Can I ask, the motivation here behind McDaniel. Is he sitting there thinking, like, he, he's been picked up, he's, he's literally being accused of murder. Is he sitting there thinking, oh, I, I'm going to just, one of the tactics I'm going to have, have up my sleeve is the um, psychology issues, you know, like, is he thinking, I'll just, I'll act this way to give me a get out of jail free card by saying I, I lost my marbles. Is is that what he's thinking here with this kind of response? Well, yes and no, but um we know that this isn't a psychological break that, that, that has happened here. He's he he hasn't broken down because he is in this robotic state, but we know that this is an act because we know what he's like naturally. Oh no, I, and I agree that it's an act. I'm not I'm not I'm fully yeah. accept that. My question is whether He's thinking, I'm going to make this play, and this is what he thinks someone who's unstable would act like. I don't know what I'm doing. No, no. this is no, this is backpedalling because when he was doing that first interview, he didn't expect them to find her. He expected the garbage man to come and take that body, and it was gone. And so when they found the body, because the garbage man hadn't been purely because there was a missing person, so everything gets stopped that he realised that he had made a major mistake and that's why he had that massive break when, when yes. they did find the body and he broke. That That is him having a break. This is not. This is him saying um, you have a right to remain silent. So I'm actually being silent but I'm actually giving you little one-word answers because I think I'm giving you the answers that are going to show that I'm innocent and they're not, you know. So it's... <laughs> it's this isn't a I'm playing the side card. Definitely not. This is just okay. someone who just can't shut his mouth. <laughs> and, and look, this is an episode where if you haven't listened to part one, you really do need to because you need to see a couple of things. You need to see how this guy talks to the media as opposed to the way he's acting here. And you also have to see his reaction the moment he finds out that his victim's body has been discovered. There's a lot playing out in part one and there's a lot to come in part two, including Patterson, the detective that we're watching, getting nothing out of McDaniel, asks about the injuries he'd seen on the man's stomach. Show me that scratch again that you showed me earlier. That was it a... What did you say happened there? You think I scratched myself in my sleep? Huh. Are you going to be able to help me with this case or not? Because I, I need to know. tell the parents something, huh? I don't know. You don't know what? You don't, don't know what know happened if to I her? I can help. Why don't you know if you can help? Because I don't know if I know what you need. I need to know if you know where Lauren's at. I or don't. do you know who took Lauren? I don't. You told me that if you were working the case, you would think somebody would take her when she was running. Why would you say that? When we looked in her apartment, there was no sign it was broken into. Yeah, this, this again, Amanda, gets me because that robotic voice, I just can't get over. It would be easy to sit there and say... No, I, 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 this is hot, terrible, but I don't know where she is. Rather than this, no, I don't know where she is. 
I almost expect a <laughs> No, but what happened just there is that he gave his first long sentence. So he said because we saw that there wasn't evidence that someone had broken into her room. So we instantly had that first long sentence. This is what they need to do. They need to keep asking questions that he can't answer with yes, no, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't tell you this. He needs to be um, asked those long questions that lead him into better answers. We've just seen our first one. And this sort of shows him that he can't he can't stop. He has to keep answering. And though he's saying no to the pertinent questions, saying stuff like when we went into the apartment and there didn't appear to be any signs of a break in, well then that's our first our first get in card. Mm. So th this is where they've actually finally got a longer response. So now the response to this should be did you go into the apartment and who did you go in with? Exactly, Amanda, because in the next section, we actually see Patterson trying to get McDaniel to speak and, and chat by going through the contents of his wallet. That doesn't overly work and the interrogation continues. Let's take a look. You know. You do know. And everybody in Macon knows you knows because you got your sorry ass on the news and told everybody. So every friend you have in Macon knows that you know. Everybody you go to school with, every one of your professors, everybody knows that you know. Because you got on the news tonight and told everybody that you know. Now how do you think? Hmm? Think you're gonna be walking down the street tomorrow and nobody bother you? Hmm? Think nobody's gonna come over and knock on your door to see if you wanna to talk to the media again? I don't know. Oh, they're gonna be over there, brother. So this little act that you're doing right now ain't working with me. Okay? Because you didn't have no problem talking to the media. No problem. So you need to snap out of it and tell me what the hell happened so we can move on. I don't know. Well, how many times you gonna say I don't know? Hmm? How many times you gonna say it? What are you gonna say I remember? I don't wanna remember what happened to her. How many times are you gonna say that? If you did something that you regret, you need to let me know. I didn't. Well, who did? I don't know. Well, a body was found over here, right next to where you live. Well, Amanda, a lot of effort, but that doesn't seem to be working. No, but he's telling um, McDaniel that he knows that this is all a lie. He knows that this is an act. He knows that this is just him playing out, out the interview for as long as it needs to go. So um, some people get agitated by being called a liar, but he hasn't, he hasn't reacted to that. So that's just another point that they've tried now mm. that hasn't sort of uh, created a emotional response in in McDaniel. Um, he's he's holding this cold fish real well, but it's it's not going to last forever, but it's certainly going to last for a lot longer yet. <laughs> well, Chapman continues with his liar script. What do you have in your apartment? A lot of knives. A lot of guns. Right? Yes. And I'm asking you about it and you're just saying I don't know. That's all, that's the only answer you can give is I don't know. But six hours or a couple hours ago you was out there telling the media everything. You didn't stand in front of that camera and say I don't know. You were actually answering questions. Right? How many interviews did you give? Three? I don't know. <laughs> you gave like three. 
do you think that was a proper thing to do when a mother's looking for her child? They asked me what happened. And what did you tell them? What did you tell them? That Lauren was missing. Okay. What else did you tell them? That we had gone looking for her. Okay. And what? And that we hadn't found her. And what else did they ask you? I don't remember. Why don't you remember? I don't. You're telling me that you went through law school. Well, you went through college first, right? Did you graduate from college? Yes. And now you're in law school. Did you graduate from law school? Yes. But you don't fucking remember what they asked you this afternoon? No. Huh? I just don't fucking believe that shit. Don't stand back yet. What's up, buddy? Did you talk to him about his guns? Yeah. When was the last time you shot those guns? I haven't. You've never shot a gun? No. Have you ever shot any gun in your whole life? No. Never? No. So you bought three guns that you've never shot? Yes. Why? To have. <laughs> for what? To have. For what? I'm asking for what? Why do you want to have them? What makes, did they give you, I mean, tell me why it's important to you to have three guns. That's an easy question. <laughs> it's an easy question, but uh, he no gives some answers, Amanda. <laughs> no, but we're actually getting closer because he's given some answers now where he's actually gone a bit more succinct. So it's starting to happen, but they're still trying to push those buttons. They're still trying to see what's going to make him angry that will then make him explode and, and give a response without thinking first to say these robotic answers you know but they are digging so and coming back with things like have you asked him about his guns this is them showing that they've done their homework yeah. so he is being asked questions that aren't to do with the narrative of the case but it's showing that they know more about him that he that he's being asked questions he's not expecting to be asked about so that's where that they can see all oh, like he didn't he didn't re respond there at all he could have said, I don't know, but he didn't respond because he was so shocked they knew exactly that he had three guns. So, you know, it just sort of it, it sort of jolted him that they know now that they can start sort of pushing those buttons a bit harder now because they know that he isn't going to expect some of these questions and that is how they're going to get him to talk. And, and what's also interesting about this to me is that the way they forced him to speak more was by saying, what did you talk about in the interviews? And so by getting him to repeat that, he can't say, I mean, he ultimately went down the I don't remember path, but when he was asked specifics, he had to give details because he's already said this stuff. So he, exactly. he, he has to mm -hmm. be able to recount what he has said in these interviews. So I found that really fascinating as a yeah. way of forcing him to speak. That's right. And he kept using the we as well, not I. It was the we. And that's so interesting yeah. because he's he's giving that those same couple of sentences now um, and because they're not pushing him on them. That's what I said. They need to say to him, so we've got you in her room. You know, that's where they need to push from, but they're just not going there. You, at the beginning of yes, the last week's episode, said you liked this detective, Detective Chapman. Are you still taken with him? Are you still happy with where he's going? Oh, I really thought he would make a breakthrough by now. but um, So I'm not as in love with him, but I am as in love with his character. I think that he's larger than life. And I love the way he's, he's no bullshit and that he's sort of making, making fun of him at times, you know. And I expected them just then to say, um, why do you need three guns? I, I thought I thought the other detective, Chapman, was actually going to say something like, is, is, is this to make you feel more like a man or something? I expected a manhood question to come in there. It wouldn't have, have surprised me, but it didn't happen. Ah, well, there's, there's something down the track you'll be very happy with. And right now, Chapman goes in even harder. Where's that little girl, Stephen? I don't know. Stephen, you know. Where? Steven, you're going to look at this right here, this little girl right here, and you're going to say you don't know? I know you know. 
I don't know. Yes, you know. What are you going to say tomorrow when I say we got your hair with the body? What are you going to say to me then? Because you know, like I go like that. Look at my hair. That's how easy it falls out. Look at all that on your head. You don't think nothing fell out? It did. It did, Stephen. We just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell it. So you didn't look like a monster at the end. Because you know what? I don't believe that you're a monster, Stephen. I believe that you're a good guy. You've been picked on. Girls didn't show you the respect that you deserved. You did something stupid. And I believe you feel bad about it. And that's why you're all freaked out right now. But I'm giving you the opportunity to get right. I'm giving you an opportunity to show everybody you're not a monster. That you feel bad about what happened. Your hair is there, man. Your hair is there. We got your hair with the body. If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. Your hair is there. Look at that hair. <laughs> We're at the Johnny Cochran section of the interrogation, Amanda. I know. Wasn't that great? Your hair is there. I mean, this... <laughs> Look at that hair. It's going to be there, boy. <laughs> <laughs> So good. I mean, we're taking the piss out of a murder, but anyway, it's just it just shows that this is this is what they're getting to. Like they're, they're telling him that his answers are not going to change the situation because his hair is there, um, his DNA is there. Uh, he has scratches on his body, and you know everyone else is saying it has to be him. They know what he's, he's he'd been doing to Lauren before that, and all of this. So it's just so amazing that he's now like you know I, I think about two inches away from his his face at some points there he's calling lauren a little girl there's all of these sort of 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 buttons that they're pressing just hoping he will answer but as we see he goes from these these robotic answers to nothing when he's in that moment of oh shit he says nothing so this is sort of showing how his his responses are actually saying a lot because mm. though we expect them to sort of you know deny or, or or do whatever they do he's been saying yes and no to some questions and then others like this now he's completely silent because he knows that it's an oh shit moment and there, there's nothing he can say because if he says i don't know it means okay so you think that your hair will be there if he says yes then yes that that's obviously guilty if he says no then they say well it is there you know it sort of goes around so, so there's no way for him to answer that question and get out of it basically mm. well the interrogation continues your hair is there man your hair is there we got your hair with the body how's that Stephen? I don't know. Yes, you do know. Yes, you do know, Stephen. That's right, buddy. See that? Look at it. See how easy? It happens. And it happened to you. Why, Stephen? I don't understand. Oh, you understand? You understand exactly what I'm saying. See this stuff right here, your hair? Yeah, it fell out of your head when you was moving the body, Stephen. That's right. Do you remember moving the body? No. Yes, you do, Stephen. Why, man? What happened? Why? Tell me, bud. I didn't do it. Yes, you did, Stephen. Your hands with the body quit lying. We want you to, to tell it so that way people are understand you're not a monster. Things just, you got out of control. It's a sickness. Why'd you do it, Stephen? I didn't do Stephen, it. Stephen, why are you going to keep telling that? You hurt that girl. 
No, I didn't. Yes, you did, Stephen. You heard her, man. She was screaming. Screaming, Stephen. Why? And I know you feel bad about it. I can see it in your face. What came over you, man? What happened, Stephen? I don't know. I know you don't know. You can't, you couldn't control it, could you? I didn't do it. Stephen! How long are we going to continue to do this? You did. Why is what I want to know. I didn't do it. Gosh, I wish I had some popcorn. This is intense. <laughs> it is, and uh, Chapman is pushing the right way. So what we're seeing now is he's actually taking McDaniel back to the scene. He's saying she was screaming. You know, you were there. Your hair was there. You know, she was in your face. You know, I can see it on your face. So he's making McDaniel return to the scene by trying to guess basically what happened and let's face it he went and raped and killed a girl so of course she was going to be screaming um in fact her last words were Stephen, no so that's something that we actually do find out later on not in this in interview though so you know but he's seeing that th there's changes in mcdaniel's uh facial expressions he can see that there's pain he can see that he's he's going back to the scene that he's uh, going over moving the body like he's he's going through all these sections of what occurred and Chapman's right there in his face, seeing every tiny uh, tick and nuance that we obviously can't see from from so far away. But he's he's describing what he's seeing on the Daniel's face because it, his face isn't lying like he is. Now, Amanda, I saw that Chapman also put his hand on McDaniel's shoulder. Did he flinch, or was it in reaction to the move? No, it was a definite flinch. So it wasn't just, oh, you know, get your hand off me. It was like, oh, my God, you're, you're coming at me. And they've done it to him a few times during this because this is about keeping him off centre. So they don't want him to feel comfortable and, and relax that. He's gone into robot voice and, you know, yes, no, I don't know. By by doing things like this, it sort of makes him go, oh, you know, okay. And it sort of wakes him up and shakes him up a bit. So it's a very good t uh, tactic to work. It could be considered assault. It could be considered a threatening move. But, um. It was worth a try. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, they, they keep talking about the media interview. Let's take a moment to just play a little section of that interview he did with the media. Yeah, Lauren was my neighbour. Um, we're just trying to find out where she is at this point. I mean, no one has seen her since Saturday. I mean, the last time anyone heard from her was an email that she sent out, and I mean, no one's heard from her since. Very, very different. Even his, even his cadence has changed. It has, and it's it's quite interesting because the way that he's gone catatonic is to lower his voice and to sort of almost mumble these words. So it's not his, his quite chatty, verbose way of speaking. So it's quite amazing that he actually can sort of drop that um, and go into, into that voice. But, you know, he, he has no comeback for what has been recorded and shown on television. So it was a tough call mm. to make. Yeah, and look, Chapman wants to talk about that media interview a little bit more. Stephen, you hurt that girl, man. And you got on the news today. That's right. You know what, you weren't talking like this on the news, buddy. Yeah. You hurt this girl. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You hurt that girl. <laughs> Amanda Chapman is just being annoying there. <laughs> I know. I mean, they're trying every every tactic they have in the book. So now that he's gone up close, he's been in his face, he's put his hands on him, now he's going to stand here and tap this thing to sort of make him know that there's an urgency happening and that he's agitated and that he might sort of go off because he's playing the bad cop. 
So he's just sort of showing that he's going to get angrier and angrier so, so, so that tapping gets faster. It's just an amazing ploy. So he doesn't know if he's just going to strike him with that piece of paper or if he's going to start screaming at him. This is about keeping um, McDaniel again off centre. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's not expecting the cop to sit there and tap something loudly on, on, <laughs> on the desk. It's it, it's not something that you learn in criminology class. So, I mean, it's, I'm just loving it. I just love this 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 interview. Well, he takes it to a whole new level. Have a look. Stephen, I don't want it to be a game between me and you. I know it hurts, and I know you're not an awful person, and you want to tell it. Your hair was there, Stephen. We've all known it all along. We wanted just to give you an opportunity to tell what happened. Did y'all have sex? No. Did you try to have sex? No. You think about having sex? No. Liar. Okay, you got me to stop it there. Why? Because what happened is that he asked him three questions about sex and two of them were sort of a a truth, but the third one was the one that he couldn't hide. And though he said no to all three of them and he likely did have sex with her, um, the fact that he said no to thinking about having sex with her and he just jumped on him and said liar, that was fantastic because you can see the difference cadence in that last one and how longer it took him to answer it. Mm. So very interesting. Let's go back and pick it up and have a look at a little bit more of that. Did y'all have sex? No. Did you try to have sex? No. You think about having sex? No. Liar. What kind of man doesn't think about having sex? It is an interesting way of calling him out. Yep. So if you didn't think about having sex, well, then you're not a real man. You know, it's sort of there was no right way to answer that. And I think it's amazing that he does it. And this rapid fire, he tried to actually make this work for his benefit because he thought as soon as he answers, I'm going to ask that next question. But McDaniel still took about a second or two for each question. So he didn't take, uh, sorry, for each answer. So he didn't sort of come back with rapid fire responses. So he knew that he sort of needed to play with that a bit, but he's right there in his face. So he's saying like, I can see that your face is telling us that that's a lie. And then of course, if you're a, a red blooded man that of course you're going to be thinking about having sex it's a horrible thing that we say about men but i mean it's it's true especially for a sexual predator like this so Mm. i mean that he's constantly thinking about sex you know but it's just it's just you would expect him to sort of say you know no and then and then chapman would smack him in in the face ask the next question he'd say no smack him in the face this is kind of what he's he's trying to do with his words because he can't actually smack him in the face um but he will sort of get close with these arm shoulder gestures and stuff but it's just amazing that um you know we we there's a history of like torture interrogations and people being pressed for answers and everything and and when we did the herzog and shermantine case um one of their cases was actually thrown out because they said that there was um too much police interference in the interrogation so they have a fine line to, to cross in, in these and they can and so by even putting their arm on on someone's shoulder it can be used as a a term of intimidation so it's quite interesting that this is allowed in some cases and not in others mm. all right let's continue you think about having sex no liar what kind of man doesn't think about having sex You said earlier you like girls, right? Yes. You said she's a pretty girl, right? Yes. What'd you do to her, Stephen? I didn't do anything. You're lying. You hurt that girl. No, I didn't. Sure it did. That's why you're having this massive meltdown right now. Because you can't live with yourself, can you? It's overwhelming you, isn't it? Tell the truth, Stephen. I didn't do it. A massive meltdown, Amanda. That didn't look like a meltdown. 
Well, that's the thing. Because he is in this robotic state, uh, there's these tiny nuances that we can't see because we're not as close as Chapman currently is. So he is seeing that, um, you know, uh, Daniel is is likely scrunching up his face. He's probably blinking more or blinking less. He'll be licking his lips because he'd be dry because um, you don't sort of have saliva when you're actually in a state of panic. So he can see that regardless of this robotic trance, there is all these humanised um, uh, uh, events that are happening so close to him that he knows that he's trying to hold it together now, but he's actually not, that he's literally in meltdown. So they can try and keep pushing now because they've got him to that point that he's exhausted from being a robot. He hasn't taken his eyes off any of these officers the whole time. He's kept his hands on on the table the whole time. To sit that still Mm -hmm. when your body is in fight or flight is a massive effort to undertake. So he's going into meltdown, but it's a internal one but Chapman can see it because he is like one inch away from his face. (laughs) Well look Chapman then basically packs up his bat and ball and decides to go home. (laughs) Why won't you tell me Stephen? I didn't do it. (sighs) You take this from me you don't deserve to look at it. Just stay right here, okay? Okay. I appreciate all your cooperation tonight, okay? Okay. McDaniel uh, looked a bit confused there when Chapman grabbed the photo and the file and left the room. I'm a bit confused. Basically, he says, you know, you are no help to us. You're not going to play the game. So basically, as you said, I'm taking my bat and ball and going home. And literally, he you could see that Chapman spent a moment thinking, do I leave the photo there to make him stew over the photo? But then he decides to take it saying, you don't deserve to look at her. So yes. that was amazing. That was a very good tactic. And that's when McDaniel sort of goes okay you know mm. you can see that he sort of sort of sets back just 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 fractionally just to sort of think okay i'm not quite sure what's happened there so it's just amazing you know i would love to be so close on McDaniel's face i hope in the future we get high res in the face of the person talking and the cops and everyone involved <laughs> so we can see all these nuances because i think we can learn more about interrogations from doing mm. that but yeah it yeah, basically he's just sort of left there because he expected them to keep going until they got something from him. They, they've told him, we know you were there, your hair's there, um, you're a liar, you were you know, thinking about having sex with her and all of this. They're basically saying, we've got what we need from you. And so they're trying to sort of make him think, okay, where did I go wrong? And he's like, huh? As, as they walked mm. out, I just, I just love that. It's just so good. <laughs> well, Chapman's out and Patterson's back. I just want to know what was going on tonight. The game's over. I mean, we know what you did to her, so we just want to know what you, if you were going to tell us or not. I didn't do anything. Well, that's what you say. But we know different, so you're fucked either way. You're fucked. We already know. And everybody out there, all your friends know that you're down here because of what happened to Lauren. So all those friends that you thought you had are not your friends anymore. Okay, there'll be no more video games. All right. is the end. Is there anything you want to say? I didn't do anything. Well, that's what you say. That's what you say. Stick to your story. Because it's over. We're tired of talking to you. Okay. We know you killed her. We know you put her body in the trash can. Simple as that. News media knows it. Glenda knows it, your mother. Your sister knows it. Your sister's husband knows it. The one that used to beat your sister, he knows it. 
You know what he said? He said he's a crazy motherfucker is what he said. What I call him. That's your own family calling you crazy. Your own family said you're crazy. Wow. He really is giving it one good last try, isn't it? And even using the crazy lines and embarrassing him um, between family and friends. Exactly. What he's done now with this is that he's actually isolated McDaniel from his family and friends. You know, your family thinks you've done it. Your family thinks you're crazy. all, All these people that you think are your friends are saying that you're the killer. So what he's saying is that you've got no one to support Mm. you. You're alone in this. So you have to make the bargains. No one else is coming in. There's no knight in shining armour who's going to come in and fix this for you. You have to face this alone. And the cops are saying, we're done with you. You you, you don't want to talk to us. So why are we sitting here for, I think, they're two and a half, three hours in at at, at this point? They're done. He's not going to talk to them. Um, They've got what they needed from him because of a couple of his responses um, that were nonverbal. But, yeah, so he just has to sort of sit there now. And when Chapman left, I think he would have realised then that that was his last moment. So Patterson is just coming in to tie that last bow around it to say that we just don't care anymore. Okay. Well, now we get to the point where Patterson winds up the interview. All right. Okay. I didn't do anything. Doesn't matter what you think you did. Doesn't matter. It's what I can prove. Okay. Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants. Hmm? Promised her I'd let her see you. So I'm waiting on them to get down here. Alright? Okay. I'm taking Glenda's statement about what you used to tell her about your neighbor. About what you used to tell her about your guns and your knives and your sister's husband's coming. Because he said you're crazy. Your sister is married still, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. He used to beat her back in the day? I don't know. Huh? Well, you sit in here and think about it for a little bit, okay? Okay. Got plenty of time to think now, don't you? Hmm? Yep. Got plenty of time to think. You thought you were smarter than everybody else, but you're not. You're not. The sad thing about it is you probably could have made something with your life. But you chose a different route because one, you don't have a girlfriend, and two, you're never gonna get a girlfriend. Yeah, they've tried everything, every interviewing technique, but it doesn't really seem to have gotten them anywhere. No, it hasn't. And I was hoping at the end there that Peterson would have, uh, that Patterson would have said, and third, you're going to be someone's girlfriend. But he didn't go there. I was really hoping he would have done that. But anyway, <laughs> he, um, <laughs> McDaniel would have had a pounding headache by the end of this. He has tried to sit through this as still as he possibly can, and it has taken everything out of him. the The confession was going to be an icing on on the cake. They've got a body. They've got all of the DNA evidence and all of that that they need it was just about seeing what he had to say about this if he was going to say it was rough sex that went wrong i mean he ended up cutting her into pieces so that's very fucking wrong but anyway um it's it's more about them just wanting to hear his side of the story and so they got some responses that they needed but um this was a very unique interview and i think this just sort of shows how different some can can be we've had some that just don't shut up like um ted colehep who just wanted to talk the whole time and we've had others like a sherman tone who just said um i want a lawyer and shut up straight away best Mm. best way to do it though he still went to jail but um i mean it just it's so amazing to see someone can almost shut down but the fact that he'd spoken to the press beforehand meant that all of this was just just an act 
Well, Patterson leaves the interview room just after 1am and gets a warrant for McDaniel's arrest. He's initially charged with break and enter and the murder charges added later. Eventually, in a plea deal, he confessed to the murder and the fact he had been stalking her for over a year. 41 NBC went through the confession just after it was made public. It was 4.30am on Sunday, June 26th. Steve McDaniel says he entered Lauren Giddings' Barrister's Hall apartment with a master key from the complex wearing gloves and a mask. She woke up, told him to get out, and that's when he says he leapt on the bed, grabbed her throat, and began choking her. Some of her last known words, according to McDaniel, Stephen, please stop. McDaniel strangled her to death and dragged her lifeless body into the bathtub. I returned to Lauren's apartment around midnight Sunday to begin to dismember her with the hacksaw that was later recovered from the laundry room maintenance closet. I removed her limbs and head, wrapped them in several black trash bags separately, and discarded them in the Mercer Law School dumpster across the street from Barrister's Hall Apartments. He writes he put her wrapped up torso in the garbage can at the apartment complex early in the morning on June 28. McDaniel said he never sexually accosted Giddings before or after he killed her. In fact, from his statement, his motive is still unclear. McDaniel wrote he joined the search party late Wednesday night, still in a dreamlike delusional state in which I believed at the time, while taking part in the search, that Lauren was still alive and that I had not done what I had done, even searching the empty law school in a delusional hope of finding Lauren alive and well, as if I had not really killed her. To this day, McDaniel says, I am not delusional or without morals or decency, but says something in his makeup must explain what he did. In his plea deal, he will be eligible for parole in 2041. Amanda, this has been a really interesting case and it leads us well into next week's episode on celebrity stalkers. Yes, it's a Robert McKnight request. So it is. <laughs> it is. So <laughs> after going through a bit on um, a couple of celebrity stalkers that uh, Robert and I did for a new, new ID interview, uh, we decided that we'd do this on the podcast too. So can't wait to do that one. Indeed. And uh, it's also so I know what to expect from my stalkers being a high-profile celebrity, <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> look, don't forget, if you want to watch this podcast instead of just listening to it, go to mwm.uscreen.io and there you can watch Amanda and I in all our glory. Amanda Howard, the serial killer whisperer, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.